today's Ardor SEO podcast, we have the multi-talented Jamie Turner, who's an author, professor, and speaker, and one of the most trusted marketers in the world. Currently, he's the founder of the 60 Second Marketer and hosts the In 60 series on YouTube. Welcome, Jamie. Hey, good to see you. Glad to be here. Can't wait to uh, dive into the topic that we're here to talk about. First of all, uh, tell our listeners how they get a hold of you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, so I uh, speak professionally around the globe, and the easiest way to reach out to me is Jamie at jamieturner.live. So I run the 60 Second Marketer. You can find me there, but I also have a website called Jamie Turner Live, J A M I E Turner dot live. And uh, check that out because it's uh, got all sorts of fun information about a lot of different things there. All right, Jamie, give me your business in like one sentence. I exchange knowledge to audiences, whether it is a university audience, a corporation where I'm consulting, or any of the places I speak around the globe. So I have a lot of information in my brain from doing 30 plus years of marketing. I know a lot of things about where marketing is headed. And so my number one goal is to get out there and take the knowledge I have in my brain and put it in other people's brains. How'd you get into this space? Like what brought you into the whole marketing world? You know, my father was a madman. And uh, so that's a guy who worked on Madison Avenue in the 1950s and 60s. Um, anybody who knows about marketing knows David Ogilvy. My father worked side by side with David Ogilvy and, and David Ogilvy used to come over to our house when I was a, a kid. And I grew up watching that. He would come home every single day and say, I love my job. And I grew up going, wow, I, you know, I want to love my job someday too. And so when I went off to school, I was like, ah, let me give this a shot. It seemed like a lot of fun. Went up to New York City, worked there for a little while, and then moved down to Atlanta, Georgia, where I am now and did marketing there for uh, on the ad agency side with a bunch of different corporations, everybody from Coca-Cola to AT&T to a bunch of different companies. Out of those uh, companies, because some of the, you know, they're the biggest companies in the world, um, you know, did you have a, a favorite moment or something that was like really, that stood out to, you know, that really propelled you into your own career and your own business? Something that we might not know about. I, well, I have an interesting moment at Coca-Cola. So uh, I, I actually have done work for both Coca-Cola and Pepsi. So I'm on the, I'm neutral. I'm like, if you have a, a budget and a checkbook, then I'm, I'm in, how can I help you? And so I'm working with Coca-Cola and they're both interesting organizations. Pepsi is traditionally known as an organization that moves rapidly. Uh, Coca-Cola is slower and more thoughtful, but they tend to, uh, when they make a decision, they've, they've thought every aspect of that decision out. So I'm in, true story, I'm in it at a board level meeting with Coca-Cola talking about some research that we've done. And it's January, early January. And I'm saying, well, here's what the research is saying. And if you work with us, then by March, we can have this campaign out that's addressing this whole thing. So I'm talking about the January to March sort of uh, execution. And in the back of the room, a, a guy raises his hand and I say, yes, sir, how can I help you? And he says, are you talking about this March? And I said, yeah, this March, three months from now. And he goes, oh yeah, that, that's never gonna happen. You, I mean, maybe next March we can get this done, but not this March. So it was an insight into the fact that Coca-Cola moves slower, but when they make a decision, generally speaking, they've thought out every possible outcome. They know what's gonna happen and they, they, they go in and do the right thing. So kind of an interesting story about the, the culture at Coca-Cola. 
Do you think that hurts companies today? Like when they become so big, um, it was almost like when I used to work for NBC that was owned by General Electric. If they weren't number one or two, they cut it. And I think if they couldn't, the one thing that uh, uh, Jack Welch was really good at was pivoting and making sure that people had their eye on the prize constantly. And I think like really big corporations, I think as they grow, they lose that. Um, do you think that's a, a detriment in today's society for big companies? I do. In fact, there's an interesting story about Coca-Cola that is exactly that. So the question is, when you get so big, does it slow innovation down? And the answer is, yeah, it does. And it can kill companies. It almost killed Microsoft before they, uh, the new CEO came in and kind of turned things around. With Coca-Cola, what's interesting, they almost had the same problem that Kodak had, which is, which is Coca-Cola makes so much money from the Coca-Cola syrup that they sell the profit margins are so high that for them to go into any other arena would have lowered their profit margins. So all of the culture was changing where people were saying, we don't want sugary soft drinks anymore. And all of a sudden people were saying, we want natural drinks like teas and coffees and you know coconut milk and all that sort of stuff. Coca-Cola was slow to move into that because they were inhibited. Hey, we're printing money with selling this syrup to all the bottlers. How can we do this when if we go and shift over to uh, teas, we're gonna like make less money on it. But finally, ultimately what happened was, was Coca-Cola did make that move. They're now getting into all those other drinks and they said, we just have to play for the future. But the short answer to your question is absolutely. When companies get big, they get, it's not complacency as much as it's a battleship that's very hard to move around. And you get these PT boats coming in that can move around real quickly, boom, boom, boom. They make a impact on their market share and it ends up uh, hurting them in the long run. But, uh, but yeah, the bottom line is it's difficult for big companies to, to, to play in the fast moving game that we're in right now. I was watching your In60 video series on YouTube. And I really think what I, I learned is that they as the companies grow, they lose their imagination. And I think that's an example of that. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Uh, and there's tons of studies on this, but the, the, the number one thing is they shift their focus from innovation and new opportunities to improving operations on what it is they're doing. So they invent something. Microsoft invents, you know, or, or sort of gets in early on operating software. They invent that. Then they come out with Excel and, and Microsoft, uh, uh, all the, the platform there. But then the world changes with Google coming in and offering the same software for free and all these other things happening. Microsoft is busy trying to figure out how to lower costs and improve margins on their existing body of, uh, 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 of products. And in comes somebody else who says, hey, guess what? We're gonna go ahead and, and uh, change the world by offering your software to everybody for free. So yeah, it slows people down. Companies get slow because they start working on operations instead of innovation. And that can be a killer in the long run. And the solution to that, of course, is a little bit what Google is trying to do when Google said, hey, we're gonna change our name to Alphabet and have 24 different companies. Their intent, I think, behind the scenes was, we know we're printing money with Google, but we need to go out and go reinvent Google in any one of these other 23 companies that are out there, other than Google, the 24th, so that we can come up with the next Google a decade from now. And that's what I think they're doing, and we'll see if it plays out to their favor in the long run.
I think what uh, companies, and I think this is what you teach in your courses and stuff like that, they forget the simple digital marketing plans are almost as effective as million dollar budget plans. And I really think uh, you capture that in your teachings in, in a quick uh, format that it's easily um, discernible to the viewer and they can take actionable steps to actually make their business grow by your teachings. And I think it's really effective. And when you do your videos, I, I really like to know the creation aspect. When you go in to do the N60 series, how do you research the data that goes in to help out the actual viewer? So if I'm marketing, if I'm in marketing for a small company, I watch your videos. I take what you say to heart and go out and put it to action. How do you create that? Do you use data? You know, t tell me a little bit about the process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. First, I'm glad you like the videos. They, they've done real well and they, they seem to get a, a global viewership. So that's great. And they're designed to be short, quick, easy to understand and actionable. So when you watch it, you come away saying, I know that I'm gonna go out and do X, Y, Z that Jamie talked about in the video. So they're all intended to do that. One of the advantages I think you have is you, as you get older, I've been doing this for decades, is you not only see new things that come along, so you learn about those, and that's a, actually a, a mistake a lot of people make when they get older is they stop learning. I am constantly trying to stay ahead of the curve so that I know things that other people don't know. And so that's not as hard as it may seem. You just gotta sort of stay up on things. But then you combine this new stuff along with all of the wisdom you've gained from 30 plus years of doing stuff. And the end result is that combination of new information combined with old wisdom results in actionable information. It's, it's hey folks, here's a new thing that you need to learn about. And I can tell you right now that you think that you should turn right with this new thing. I'm gonna tell you from my experience, you should turn left with this new thing. And if you turn left, you're probably gonna have better experiences than if you turn right with it. And the result is that combination of new, new information with old wisdom results in actionable information that gets people moving ahead with stuff that they can actually use to impact their business. So that's the main thing I wanna do is get people to think about stuff and then take action on what we do so that they can then use it to grow their business. And when you speak of growth, I think in the, in the digital marketing sense, how do you use uh, the, the data behind it? And what's the importance of like uh, search engine optimization or um, items like that when you go to your creation of your courses, the writing of the books, et cetera? Yeah, so what's cool about digital is that it's evolving very rapidly. Um, we have been in the world for the last decade of search engine optimization or paid search or banner ads or any of the multitude of things that are going on. What's going on right now is that there are these companies that are collecting data on individuals and creating data sets that you can then use to target your campaigns. Now this is, if you're a small dentist office, this is not the kind of stuff you'd be thinking about too much because it's a little bit expensive. But if you are a small business to a mid-sized business to a large business, you're thinking, what's the next big thing in marketing? And the next big thing is taking data, creating data sets so that you can then hyper-target your campaigns to these data sets. And what happens is, is when people see the ads that you've created, because you know what they're doing, 
how they're behaving, what they're thinking about. You can make the campaigns feel as though they're designed just for that individual. So when the individual sees the ad, they think this is really sort of exactly what I'm going through, what I'm thinking about, what I'm behaving, what I'm doing. And it makes it much more relevant to them. The long, in the end, that means relevancy equals sales. And so when you can make campaigns more relevant, they ultimately jump over and buy more of your products and services. So the step is look at the data, figure out the data, create campaigns that target those subcategories, those categories of data sets, and then use that as a way to make the campaigns more relevant to the, to the viewer, ultimately resulting in them saying, hey, this campaign was written just for me. I'm going to buy their product because they get me, understand me, know what I'm going through. I think uh, from reading your, your website and doing my research and thing, I think that's what you call one-to-one -one marketing. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, yep, it's one-to-one -one marketing. It's making, it's doing stuff where you can hyper-target campaigns and make it feel as though it's one-to-one -one marketing. This is an ad that's designed just for me. So let's get, let's give an example. If you're relatively, if you start looking at data, you can figure out that, hey, we want cat lovers, people who love cats as our target market. Now let's drill down and go, not only do we want cat lovers, but we want cat lovers who are uh, partial, to Siamese cats. Okay, cool. Now we're gonna go down and get even deeper into this. We want people who have Siamese cats who are older Siamese cats. So then you create an ad campaign that's based on that. Hey, if you have an older Siamese cat, here's a cat food that you might be interested in. The person seeing that ad goes, wow, that's that's like exactly me. That you know, I have an older Siamese cat. I'm gonna buy this cat food. This is exactly what I want. So that's a story that explains what we're trying to do with this one-to-one -one marketing is make it more relevant and more meaningful to the consumer in a good way, while at the same time respecting their privacy, because privacy and data is such a big part of all of this, and you have to make sure you're doing it ethically and properly. Because I think, um, and you can walk me down this path, I think that would be a great way to get new customers because that is a struggle of new businesses, right? So talk about the importance of I'm a business, right? The one-to-one -one marketing system, the N60 uh, YouTube channels. How yeah. can I put that all together to gain uh, a new customer audience? Yeah. So even if you're running ads, let's say you're running ads on Facebook. Um, the cool thing about Facebook is that you can actually do custom audiences. So let's say you have a database of email subscribers who have subscribed to your e-newsletter. Let's say you're selling cat food and, uh, and you have email subscribers who get your newsletter about cats and they're, you're trying to sell to them. You've got this data. You can actually upload that data to Facebook and do one of three things. The first is you can say, I wanna run an ad to the people in my database while they're on Facebook that gets them to buy more of my product. So that's the first thing you would do. The second thing you could do is to say, I want to run an ad to people who are not in my database. So take the database that I've just uploaded and eliminate them from the ad campaign because I want to find new customers. And the third thing you can do, which is kind of interesting, is called a lookalike audience, which is you upload your data to Facebook and you say, I want people who look like my database, but not my database. So Facebook goes out and says, oh, let's look at all these email addresses. We're gonna figure out who these people are because we've got them in our system. 
We're gonna figure out what their behavior patterns are. What are they interested in? What do they like to do? What are their demographics? And we're gonna create a lookalike audience of those people that are very similar so that you can then target those people. So those are three different things that you can do. One is advertise to your own audience. Second is advertise to everybody but your own audience. And the third is to create a new audience based on what's called a lookalike audience of behaviors and demographics of the people who are in your audience in order to go target them. So it's a great way to do it. And anybody can do that. It doesn't require big budgets or anything. You can do that if you are a small startup and you're just wanting to use Facebook or any of the other platforms that are out there in order to market your product or service. One of the really good things I learned by watching your uh, YouTube series in 60 um, was how to become a influencer that was uh, on the likes of some of the major influencers that are out in the on various platforms. And I really liked your techniques on how to go about to do that. Can you share a little bit about that right now with our audience as well? Yeah, you know, um, the the so I, a lot of people consider me an influencer and I go out and I try to make sure that I'm, I'm uh, relevant to people. If I, I tell people all the time, if you took a look at how much time and effort I put into all of this, uh, any sane person would say, no, I'm not going to do that because there's too much effort and, and, and uh, work that went into it. But if you go out and decide, I am going to know something about this uh, product or service and I'm going to understand it well enough that brands are going to come to me and use me as, a, as an influencer for it. It can really be a game changer for you. Let's take an example. Um, what they are finding in influencer marketing right now. So just as a definition, influencer marketing is where a brand goes to somebody who has a following and they go to them and say, we want you to reach out to your followers on behalf of our product or service. Now, if you're a small company, you're sitting around going, well, let's say I make you make tennis rackets. I can't go out and get Roger Federer because he's going to charge $5 million just for uh, an Instagram post. Well, well, it wouldn't be $5 million. It'd be $500,000 for one Instagram post. And that we can't afford that. Well, the good news is, is that you can go to influencers who have a smaller following, who have a deeper engagement with their following. So in other words, you can go to a regional tennis star or let's say in Australia, uh, there's a tennis star who's known in Australia and is just starting to break into the global scene. You catch that tennis star early, they may have 10, 20, 30,000 followers, but the cost is lower. But the good news is, is when you reach out to them and say, can you go to your Instagram and do a post about our tennis racket? It doesn't cost you a lot of money. The cool news is, is because they're smaller, they have a more intimate relationship with their followers and their followers are much more likely to take action on what it is that you're promoting. So the bottom line is you can go to Roger Federer and get him to do it across a lot of people, all of his followers, and probably not get that much engagement or save your money, go to a smaller person who has a deeper engagement with their followers and get them to do it and have those followers actually act upon that influencer marketing campaign much more greatly than they would if it was Roger Federer. So it's kind of an interesting thing for small to mid-sized businesses to jump into. Who can help me with my uh, backhand? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a problem for all of us, for all of our lives. <laughs> I wish I was Roger Federer. How about yeah, that? Yeah. What a great champion. Yeah. So now you, you're, you mentioned that you're a leader in the space and how did you become a leader in the space? And, and one of the things I think um, is of great value to people is we all have grown into our positions in life. 
how did you grow and maybe what were some of the failures and if you give me a specific example that you took a failure and then you really learned from it and then yeah. you position yourself yeah and i think that's a key thing for everybody to understand is that is that uh i failed way more times than i've succeeded you hear or read about the success but you don't hear or read about the failures although i'm happy to talk about them my, one of my first early failures uh that i was able to flip around and this is a good example of taking failure and turning it into something positive is true story i was coming out of the university of texas going up to new york city to try to get a job in new york city and um i was at the time when uh when uh when uh word processors were just a new thing so i went in and i wrote one letter and changed the name in the letter and send it out to 13 different people. So it was like, that was a new thing back in the day. You know, today, of course you do it all the time, but back then it was like, wow, all I have to do is write this letter once and then I just make a copy of it and then change the, who's it, who it's going to and then send it out. So I sent out 13 letters. I get home, I show the letter to my father and I say, here's the letter I sent out to the 13 companies in New York City. He says, great letter. I'm sure you caught the typo before it went out. And I said, no, what typo? He said the word prestigious. You left the letter T out of the word prestigious. So it says prestigious. And I was like devastated. I just thought this is a disaster. I can't believe it. So I thought, all right, how do I turn this negative thing into a positive thing? Well, I went out to uh, a jewelry store uh, and I said, can you give me 13 little jewelry boxes? Those things that you just put little things in. Oh, okay, fine, we'll give you, I told him the story. Then I went to a print shop and got 13 little letter T's, the wooden T's, got 13 little letter T's. And then I put the letter T in the jewelry box and had a new cover letter that said, here's something that I left out of my previous letter. It was the letter T that should have gone in the word prestigious. And oh, by the way, here's a copy of my resume and sent it out to all 13 people again, very carefully proofreading the letter, by the way. And, uh, and that opened doors for me because people were like, oh, wow, isn't this clever? I got to send my resume twice to somebody. Most of them probably didn't see the typo in the first letter. And it was an ab the ability to show people that I could think on my feet and recover from failure. And so as the, everybody who's listening to this right now is thinking back all of the times that we all skin our knee and fall off our bike and all that sort of stuff, you just gotta wipe it off and get back on the bike and ride. And that's what I did with the letter T and it ended up working out great because I had a job in a couple of weeks once I moved up to New York City. What was your uh, first job, do you remember? Yeah, a young account executive at an agency now known as DDB, uh, Doyle Dane Birnbach, uh, DDB. And uh, at the time it was called Needham, Harper and Steers. They merged with DDB and all that stuff. But yeah, great job and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a, a lot of fun. Worked with a lot of great people up there. Did that set you on the path to your success today? Because usually there's like one job that like will stick out that will really be like, man, this job like propelled me into my next stratosphere. Do you have one of those jobs? The, the big, it was less of a job and more of an event. So for me, what happened was uh, I had started the 60 Second Marketer uh, and I, literally I was just driving down the road one day and the term 60 Second Marketer popped in my head and I was like, ah, oh, there's a ring to that. And I thought, oh, I'll start a blog around it. That That took off and got some viewership. But the real thing was, I had always wanted to write a book. I had an idea for a book, um, had lunch with what's called an acquisition editor from a publisher back in the day where you had to go through a mainstream publisher. And I told her about the book over lunch. And it was such a big deal to finally get a you know meeting with an acquisition editor. I told her about the, 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 the book. 
we get to the end of the lunch and she says, you know, I, that book idea, I just, I'm sorry, it just isn't resonating with me. I, I, I don't think it's really a good thing. And she said, by the way, if you know anybody who's into social media, then that's a topic that's really hot right now. And I said, well, social media is what I do. I mean, that's like my thing is I do social media. And she said, oh, well, I like you. Get me a book proposal on a social media book and we'll get it done because I, I like your style. I just didn't like the topic of the book. That was the game changer. So when that happened, the book took, put me on a trajectory. Once you have a book, you start getting big speaking gigs. Once you get big speaking gigs, you get on TV. Once you get on TV, it's just this endless cycle. And now that's how that happened. So that was the pivotal thing and it was a little bit lucky because I sat there and she said nah, I really don't think this book idea is any good and then she just happened to say something about social media and I jumped in and said hey no 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 I do social media I could totally write a book about that and that was the that was the pivotal event that changed everything to be honest with you that's awesome when was that that was 10, 10, 11 years ago now. And uh, yeah, and it's been a fun ride ever since then. Most of my stuff, although we're in COVID-19 right now, so there's not a lot of uh, travel going on, but most of what I do is go around the globe speaking. I love travel. I love new cultures, new people, new history, new wine, new food. My lovely wife gets to go with me on some of the trips. And so it's a great, great experience. And I can't wait for COVID-19 to get all taken care of because I'm ready to get back on the road again and, and see the world because that's a yeah. that's a blast. As is I. Do you have any uh, any favorite moments that you um, out of your, your journeys across the globe that one might be stick out a little more than others? Yeah, uh, I, you know, I have loved every place I go. And so it, it's been all through Europe and then, you know, Egypt and Latin America and Buenos Aires, all that sort of stuff. I was invited to speak in Lebanon. Uh, about a year ago and you know Lebanon has had its struggles it's caught between Israel and Syria so it's always struggling with uh, a war-torn part of the world um, I absolutely loved Lebanon I loved the Lebanese people the food was amazing the history was amazing um, it is a country filled with very hardworking and super smart people they will start a, a paragraph in English then go into Arabic and then end up in French, that all of them speak three languages. I mean, it's just a really amazing country and it's tragic almost that they're caught in this sort of between Syria and Israel and it's just creating this conflict there. But the people were wonderful. The place is wonderful. I just absolutely loved it. Can't wait to get back there. Someday I'll get back there. But that's a that's one of my favorite places that I've been to all around the globe. So what we do a lot here at Ardor SEO is we, we do a lot of SEO and, and the importance of it. So if I was in Lebanon, what would you say the importance of uh, marketing and using SEO technologies and the services that you do and teach in your N60 YouTube series? Um, how would you say to somebody who really doesn't know anything about those elements of today's modern marketing society? Explain a little bit how you'd use them and the importance of that. You know, uh, SEO is the foundation of everything you're going to do. So there is no such thing as a business today that doesn't have a website. You just can't exist without a website. If you have a website, you have to be able to 
make sure it's optimized for search engines. Otherwise, there's no point in having the website. What happens is, is that a lot of people go in and they kind of get the fundamentals and the basics down, but they don't go much deeper than that. And that's one of the things that Chris at Ardor SEO did for me. He reached out to me and said, and he's the head of the company, he reached out and said, hey, Jamie, I'm gonna do a, an analysis. He actually shot a video of an analysis that he'd done on the 60 Second Marketer website that had some insights that I hadn't thought of and didn't know about before. And I was like, all right, I like the guy's chutzpah because A, he's going in and shooting a video, B, he's doing his homework before he sent the video to me, and C, he's providing something of value to me about SEO that I didn't know. And I know SEO because I've been doing this for a little while. So I was like, I just learned something new. Reached out to Chris, said, hey, that's awesome. He said, oh, we do this as part of our thing. We just do a an analysis of people's websites to give them an understanding of what it is they should be doing. And if they like what they see, then they can work with us. So the, the key point is SEO is the foundation. And then interestingly enough, Chris at Ardor SEO sat down and did his homework and said, I'm gonna do a lead generation campaign designed to go deep and not just do something superficial, but let me go out and target people and go to them specifically. And that really worked because it got me engaged with, with you guys actually as a result of that because he was so thorough in what he did. If I'm not aware of what a lead generation campaign is, just give me a couple of cents on what that is to my Yeah, business. yeah, sure. So all of us are looking for prospective customers and that's essentially a lead. Somebody who says, yeah, I might buy your product. It doesn't matter if you're selling widgets or if you're selling you know, a law firm or an accountancy or whatever it is, you basically need leads, which are pros prospective customers and then you convert them from prospects into customers. So it's, it's basically prospects. And how, how are you using those leads to further advance your business? Yeah, the, the whole thing is, you know, there's this uh, sales funnel idea of you drop leads into the top of a sales funnel and nurture those leads until they become a customer down at the bottom of the sales funnel. And a lot of them drop off as you go through the sales funnel and that's okay. So what you're always trying to do is make sure that you're putting as many prospective leads in the top of the sales funnel as possible so that you have a steady stream of people reaching out to you. And if you do all the things that we've talked about, whether it's SEO or digital marketing or any of these things, uh, then ultimately you're gonna have enough people at the top of the sales funnel so that you have a steady stream of customers down at the bottom of the sales funnel as all these people have kind of dropped off as they've gone through the sales funnel. What can we expect of you uh, uh, as one of your customers and viewers of your awesome content on YouTube and your N60 series and, and your website? What can we expect next for you? Are you gonna write a book or what's in the future for you, Gene? Well, that's a great that's a great question. Thanks for asking. What I what I do right now is I actually consult not only on marketing but also management consulting. So I'll go into corporations and help them understand a little bit more about their customers. But I have a client in Spain that we're doing work for. I have a client out of Dubai that I've done work for. So it's a global opportunity. And the cool news is, uh, you know, you'd asked early on, what is it you do? I transfer knowledge, so I'm able to go into these companies around the globe and say, here's what I know about what you're going through because I've been through it here's what you should do in order to make sure you go down the right paths and it seems to be working out well for him. The next book, and thanks for asking about that, I've got one coming out about one-to-one -one marketing that'll be out uh, probably next spring. And then after that, I've got a really interesting uh, thing going on right now that is basically about leadership, how to develop yourself as a leader 
and also how to develop your teammates as leaders so that you can then have the success you're looking for. And that is going to be, that's a game changer. That's a book that's, uh, I'm already doing speeches on it. And every time I do that speech, I have people coming up saying, this just changed my trajectory just based on what you just said here. So I can't wait for that book to come out. It's going to be a blast. Yeah, leadership is a key to a, a successful business. Can you give us one antidote from the book that we might be able to use in our day-to-day -day businesses to really show us as a strong leader, but uh, you know, compassionate and doing business the right way? Yeah, here's one that is I lead with, which is, and the, the name of the, the speech that I'm doing is called The Unspoken Rules of Leadership. And what it is, is those unspoken things that you don't read about in a textbook or even in a business book that you get at the bookstore. It's the things that people tell you behind the scenes or that they'll whisper in your ear, but nobody's putting it in a book. So it's the kind of stuff that's kind of maybe sometimes counterintuitive or maybe even something that you wouldn't really write about in a book, but that can be a game changer. And here's one of the ones that I talk about, which is people believe they should be working on their skill set when the reality is you should be working on your mindset first and your skill set second. So in other words, you need to be working on your mind, what you're thinking and how you're processing information and your framework for how you enter into the world, the business world or your personal world. You have to work on that first before you work on your skill set. Skill set's going to be fine. We all know we're going to work on our presentation skills, our communication skills, our computer skills, all of that, that's going to happen. But what we have to do is get our mind straight first. And there's a lot of techniques I teach out of that, one of which is meditation, by the way, but a lot of other things just about how you think about things, how you process information and how you sort through information in order to make sure that as you move forward, you're doing the right thing. So work on your mindset first and your skill set second. Can you give us one thing that we should focus on as a step towards completion of the mindset? I mean, it's something that's always evolving, but uh, you, for, for instance, I, I, I don't know, I meditate every morning when I get up in the morning. Um, uh, that might be a simple element, but maybe something that can start that those people on the mindset journey. Uh, two things. One is I, I do uh, meditate uh, twice a day, generally, uh, most days. And it was a game changer for me. It helped me manage my ADHD that I struggled with in my youth. And I was struggling with retention and all that sort of stuff. Once I really started taking meditation seriously, it moderated the ADHD and helped me. It That was a game changer for me. Um, but the other thing is think about what your first line of code is. And what I mean by that is, where our brains are sort of like a software platform or a software program. And that first line of code is critical. If the first line of code is broken, the rest of the software program, no matter how well written it is, won't execute. So you have to think through what is your first line of code. I'll give you a specific example. The, the first line of code is really how do you view the world? For me, early in my career, I had something happen where I got burned by somebody. Somebody sort of burn me and and I, I could I knew at that time I said I have two choices I can either go through life not trusting people and know that I'll never get burned again or I can go through life trusting people and know that occasionally I'm just gonna get burned by somebody and I'll learn from that lesson and that was a 
pivotal first line of code for me because I decided I did not want to go through my life not trusting people. I decided I want to go through my life trusting people and believing the best in people. And so I literally shifted my first line of code over to I am choosing to trust people knowing full well that occasionally I'm going to get burned on something, but I would rather go through life trusting people and believing in the goodness of humanity rather than going through life thinking that everybody's out to get me. And so that shift is a, a great example of a first line of code. Think through what's your first line of code. It's basically how do you frame up the world around you and what are you looking for? Because what you're looking for, you'll draw into your life. Wow, they're, they're, those are really some great tools that people can use on the, the journey to setting their mindset. So I'd like to thank you so much, Jamie, for uh, being on the uh, podcast today. Uh, just one more time, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, thanks a lot. You can get all my information at jamieturner.live. Actually, just Google me and you'll see Jamie Turner all over the place and, and uh, all that stuff. But if you want to reach out to me and get my document, a three-pager on how to meditate that I've written, uh, just email me at jamie, that's J-A-M-I-E, at jamieturner.live. And so it's jamie at jamieturner.live. I'll shoot you over the meditation document. It just says, here's a, it's real easy. Here's how to do it. It's not complex. It's not woo woo. All it is is getting your mind to settle down. And it's a great document. I've sent it out to a lot of people and they've really enjoyed it. So feel free to reach out to me at jamie at jamieturner.live. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll have that in the show notes and we'll also have your In60 series YouTube link, which I found of great value. Like I said, I watched a couple of the videos twice and I'm going to watch them again because I really learned a lot. So thank you so much, Jamie, for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it a lot. Take care. See you later.